We're going to go to our scripture for the day, and it's 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, and if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Good morning. This morning's subject matter, we're going to skip. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, and we ask that you help us to glean from it your instruction. Holy Spirit, I ask for your filling to our people here. I ask that you baptize them with the Holy Spirit so that they would be able to do more than their abilities, experience, and their own wisdom education can allow. Father, I ask this morning that grace would fill this room in our church as we talk about a subject matter that is controversial as well as a touchy subject, especially in our Bay Area culture. And so would you please be with us? Have us be a unified, peaceful body that is in love with you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're studying 1 Peter, and within 1 Peter we have this mini-series on the topic of submission. We're about halfway through this topic that we started a couple of weeks ago, and we'll wrap up this kind of mini-series on submission next week after Peter addresses husbands. We started looking at being subject to others' submission back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, where Peter wrote, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And this is the subject of being submissive to civic government. And then we looked at being subject to authority figures in our place of employment. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And last week, we looked at the ultimate example of submission in Jesus. And today, as we look at this topic, this principle of submission within the family, beginning with wives, and next week, we'll take a look at husbands. Now, before we head into our scripture this morning, I'd like for us to have in our minds 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. The reason being is because without this mindset that we've been told to have from Peter, the ways of the world, the ways of our culture will have a greater influence than does the word of God in our lives. And so the six verses we're going to take a look at this morning are going to seem very foreign to those unfamiliar with the Bible. And for wives who live out these six verses, the world's response, the culture's response to you isn't always favorable. And in our Bay Area culture, you might even be looked down upon by others who view themselves as progressive or enlightened individuals of our modern day society. I think you'll stand a better chance of getting accepted by our Bay Area culture, dressing however you want, believing whatever you want, than in comparison to believing that wives are to be subject to their husbands. And if you want to shock our culture, you're not going to shock them with what you wear or what you believe, the tattoos you get, the piercings that you have, at least not around Lake Merritt. 
If you want to shock our culture, especially around our lake, tell them you believe 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. <laughs> Wives are to be subject to their husbands. You go, excuse me? <laughs> what? You know, I can get like Tinkerbell tattooed like all across my chest in color and have a belly button piercing with a little bell attached to it. And I can flick it and say like, I'm Tinkerbell. I can get like dust and I could sprinkle it on people. And I'll get a warmer reception doing this than telling them 1 Peter 3 verse 1. You know, people will be like, what, you believe what? That ancient book that's so archaic. Wasn't that written by some uneducated fisherman? Yes, it was, Peter. It was. It was. But we have to look at 1 Peter chapter 3 in its context. Context is really important. What have we looked at in the last couple of weeks? Right? We've had this progression. We've looked at submission to human institutions, namely civic government. And then we looked at submission to employers. And then we looked at the ultimate example of submission in Jesus. And then by the time we get to today's verses, we're still looking at this topic of submission as a whole. I mean, it's not just this one slice here that Peter inserted. And we know that Peter was writing within this context because he uses the word likewise to start off verse 1. Right? Likewise, wives be subject to your husband. So likewise to what? Likewise to what he wrote before about who we are to be subject to, how we as citizens of respective civic governments are to possess a submissive spirit under those human institutions that we live under, likewise to employees who are to possess a submissive spirit under our respective employers, likewise to Jesus who had a submissive spirit under God the Father. And so the principle of submission carries on from those prior teachings and they flow into our family structure that we're looking at today. Likewise, wives are to possess a submissive spirit to their husbands. Now, I already see the faces. And you may be wondering, why am I here today when this guy is talking about this ever so popular subject? Why am I here? I'm so lucky to be here today. And just to inform you, we just go chapter by chapter, verse by verse in our church if you're new here. And this is where we happen to be during your visit. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. And thank you, God, for allowing me to teach this today, this non-controversial subject to our guests. Thank you. But please don't go away thinking that this is what our church is all about. This is the topic that we're all about. Actually, to let you in on something, I have never preached or taught a sermon about this subject ever in my life. This is my first time. Welcome. And today is your lucky day to experiencing me fumbling through this. What is for me an extremely uncomfortable subject to talk about. And you can talk to my wife about it this week because I had her read it several times. Like, I just don't want to offend my sisters. Like, I don't mind offending everybody else. But I don't want to offend my sisters. (laughs) Right? But I'm here to preach and teach the Bible. And so I find this teaching consistent with the rest of the Bible. So I just kind of have to be true to that. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 24. Paul wrote, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
So what seems pretty clear to me in 1 Peter chapter 3 and Ephesians 5 seems to be really murky in our society today. Why is that? I don't know. Let's just go to verse 7. We'll talk about husbands. Kidding. So why? Why does this subject matter seem so unclear in our society? I think it's because of worldly thinking entering into our minds when we don't have the mindset of exiles or sojourners. Because we're so stuck into being in this world, so I got to have mine. I got to have my power. I got to have my influence. I got to have my time. And so we have a society which is deeply rooted into the world where this is the world's home pushing an agenda that is contrary to Scripture. And we have the church that is really unsure about where it stands itself in regards to this topic. So what does the Bible teach? I believe the Bible teaches that there is a mutual submission between husband and wife. That the roles of husband and wife, they are different, and the role of authority lies in the place of the husband. That the roles that are between a husband and wife are meant to create harmony within a family structure, not dissonance. Now, where is this so-called mutual submission found in the Bible? And actually, it's right before the verses that I read from Ephesians chapter 5. It's found in verse 21. Before I read 22 and all that stuff that Paul wrote about wives submitting to husbands, he wrote this in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, before Paul wrote verse 22 through 25, before he wrote, Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord, he wrote, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, God's children, we're to submit to one another. And this is no doubt also flowing into familial relationships. And it goes right into relationships between a husband and a wife right after verse 21. And this consistency of mutual submission is also found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Starting in verse 3. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body. Yes, the Bible says that. I know it's controversial, but we'll get to that when we talk about 1 Corinthians, all right? Okay, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So you see the mutual submission, mutually submissive. Yes, there is a mutual submission between husband and wife. So what's the distinction between how the husband submits to his wife and how does the wife submit to her husband? Well, both submit to God. Both submit to God. The husband submits to God, to the leadership task assigned to him by God, and the wife submits to God to his design within the family structure. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, sometimes Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 is used as a verse to counter 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, and Ephesians 5. But the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Okay, so rather this is a verse speaking about oneness. About oneness. That females are not inferior to males. So our value, our dignity, our honor, our spiritual citizenship is all equal before God. Our relationships to God through Jesus is identical. It's the same. This is not a verse stating that there is no longer males and no longer females, because obviously there are, 
right? Obviously, okay? So the distinctions between genders have been with us since God created us. And so what is Galatians 3, chapter 28 speaking about? Oneness. Oneness in Jesus, that we're all children through faith in Jesus. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 actually speaks in support of mutual submission and to the role of a husband and wife within a marriage context. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. I want us to focus on that last phrase. The head of Christ is God. Because this is speaking about the Trinity. Okay, so God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons who are co-equal, co-eternal. One God, one essence, three different distinct roles, and the head of Christ is God. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. Oneness, right? Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 9, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. They are co-equal. They are co-eternal. So how is it that the head of Christ is God? They are one in identifying nature. They are one in essence. And they are distinct in their roles. They are distinct in their functions. There is a mutuality in their relationship. Jesus is co-equal to the Father in all respects and in his role. He submits to God the Father. He's not inferior to the Father. He's co-equal. Jesus' role in submitting to the Father is crucial. It's essential. It is needed for the eternal purposes of God to be worked out. Jesus is submission. Right? He's under the mission, right? So he's under the mission of doing the Father's will. It is absolutely critical for Jesus to be under mission, to fulfill that mission. So they are co-equal, distinct functions. And this is the picture of the family structure within marriage, that God has designed for you to be under mission. The husband and the wife are equal with different functions, completely equal. Both are of equal dignity, honor, value, just different roles. And just as Christ submitted to the headship of God the Father, so is the function of a wife's submission to her husband. See, Christ has lost no equality, lost no honor, lost no dignity or value with that of God the Father, just as the wife loses no equality, honor, dignity, or value in relation to marriage. It's God's biblical design for the family. So what about when the husband's not so good in his submission to God in his headship role? Or when the wife is not so good in her role? Set up a counseling appointment with me. We'll chat later. <laughs> but we'll chat more about husbands next week, okay? I'm going to just briefly share about husbands today, but today's focus is on verses 1 through 6. Back to 1 through 6. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, why is this? Why? Why to do this? What's the principle behind this? What's the mission behind this? It's in verse 1. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So here's the situation that Peter's writing about. The wife has faith in Jesus, but the husband doesn't. Now back in that time in history, this is unheard of. Because the wife would just kind of take on her husband's religion. They didn't have a choice. 
Just like many cultures today where women don't have a choice on whether to follow their husband's religion or not. But in this situation, the wife is a follower of Jesus while her husband isn't, which was a huge problem back then. And it can be a huge problem today. What was she supposed to do? And so here Peter addressed it really, really practically. What was she to do? She was to witness to her husband not by what she said, but by what she does, on how she lives. Right? And so we are so accustomed in our society to communicate with logic and reasoning through words. But here, Peter instructs otherwise. He's saying, don't say a word. Don't say anything. Live it. Live it. Live the word out in your conduct. Because that thick-headed guy is not going to hear the gospel through his ears but he's going to be able to see the gospel through his eyes. How? Through respectfulness and pure conduct. Right? And what does this respectfulness and pure conduct look like? Again, it's not going to be through the ears that the gospel will be heard by him. It's going to be through his eyes. So Peter wrote about how the believing wife is to live in front of this unbelieving husband. Now you keep in mind that this is a woman that used to live in the ways of the world. This is a Gentile woman. So all of the values of the world played out in her life before. But now that she has a relationship with Jesus, things changed. She's different than having that kind of a worldview. And so this inner transformation also brings about some outer transformation. And it's more about what the unbelieving husband sees than what he hears. Verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now you can approach this really legalistically and literally and interpret this as saying braiding your hair, wearing gold, and wearing clothes is sinful. Sinful. But obviously, that's not what Peter meant, right? If this is approached literally, right, and legalistically, then you can do whatever you want with your hair except braid it. And you can wear any kind of jewelry you want except for gold. And you can't wear clothing. Right? You can't wear anything. It says don't wear clothing. That's not addressing the matter of the heart here. And this is what it's getting down to. What's the principle behind the instruction? It's that a woman's beauty is not dependent on her external kind of showiness. It's not that stuff. Where's the true beauty that is timeless? It doesn't go away. It doesn't fade. Where would the submission be best displayed? And that's in the internal beauty and submission of a person. But some people get really legalistic about this, and I've been to their churches, and I've spoken to, in these churches before, and I have friends in these churches where they don't believe you braid your hair, so no one braids their hair. And nobody wears gold jewelry, and they follow those two things really well. What I don't get is why they do the third one. Why do you guys still wear clothes then? You don't do the first two, but why do you do the third one? If you're going to go all legalistic about it and be all about Peter chapter 3, verse 3, you might as well complete this trifecta and not wear clothes. 
But that's not what Peter addressed. Peter also wasn't getting across that we're not to be concerned at all by the way we look on the outside. He's not saying that. He's simply saying that your internal beauty shapes your external beauty. It's good to look attractive. It's good. When Naomi was setting up Ruth with Boaz, you remember this when we were talking about Ruth? Ruth chapter 3, verse 3, this is what she says to her. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. Why? Because she had been working all day in the fields. She's dirty and stinky after a day's work. So that's just good counsel from Naomi. You want to attract the guy? Smell good. Look good. You know, this is normal, practical stuff. Freshen up. They'll look good. Be attractive to Boaz. So we can't get all legalistic and literal about this stuff. And it's similar to what's happening in John chapter 6, verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So if you interpret this literally and legalistically, then die. Right? All food perishes. All of it, except McDonald's. But anyway. <laughs> but we all need to eat. We all need to eat. Was Jesus saying, don't work for it, just steal it? No. Jesus was saying, don't get caught up in working for the physical food that just lasts temporarily. Keep your priorities straight. Keep your priorities straight. Work for the food that endures to eternal life. And you look at how to invest your life into eternity, not just the temporary stuff. And this is what's happening in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter wasn't saying, forget about how you look. You can look like trash. It just doesn't matter. None of it matters. He's not saying that. He's just saying prioritize. Invest into your beauty from within. And don't let the shallowness of the external stuff dictate what you look like on the outside without addressing who you are on the inside. Now let's be honest, the way women are objectified is at a much greater proportion than men, by far. When you look at fashion and cosmetics and plastic surgery, they all market a huge proportion of their goods and services to women. Our media focuses much of their attention to the female market, objectifying women. And you can see that in our movies, in our advertisements, magazines, commercials, whatever it may be. And this objectifying of women has bled into our Christianity as well. Where boys and men, they tend to look at external beauty of women more than the internal beauty of women. And so for us parents who have daughters, I only have a couple of them. How are we shaping our daughters in regards to real, true beauty? Right? How are we complimenting them? Do we focus more on their outer beauty so that when we see them cute in a nice outfit, we always mention that? But then when we see something of internal beauty, we kind of bypass it. We don't recognize it. We don't look at that. We just kind of notice the girl in the pigtails and the little cute dress, and we just always focus on the outside stuff. See, we need to recognize the inner beauty and point that out when they are honest, when they aren't argumentative, when they are peacemakers on the playground. Those types of things. Parents, we need to point out the real beauty within them. Not that we ignore their outer beauty, 
It's not that you don't say you're cute. Like, oh, you're okay. But your insides are just beautiful. Like, we don't do that. I mean, let's be biblical and point out the inner beauty of girls, the daughters that we're raising, as well as the external. The external is easy. You don't even have to think about it. Our culture's brainwashed you to already do that automatically. You have to actually think about the internal stuff and looking for that stuff. And so husbands, this is the little blurb I'm going to mention about husbands. How are you looking at your wives? I've spoken to a lot, a lot of shallow single guys while as a pastor. A lot. And it's disturbing how men who claim to follow Jesus focus so much on external beauty. So much. And again, not that it does not matter. Yes, it matters. Beauty on the outside matters. But some guys seem to think it's the most significant quality. They're looking and they're just saying things that are just not of a healthy mindset. And it just can't be like that. Right? It can't be like that. Why? Because that stuff is perishable. Right? That stuff fades, right? Because gravity is at work. Aging is at work. Metabolism is at work. Childbearing and rearing is at work. Those things take their toll on women. But the funny thing is, they take a toll on guys too. You might think like, oh, she's bearing the child. Hey, man, you gain weight with her. It happens. It happens. And the similar stuff happens. And the guys, it's a little bit different because your hair starts to go in some places, and it starts to grow in some places. Ear hair is gross, man. <laughs> Ear hair is gross. Thank God I don't have that yet. But your body starts to sag, right? And your skin starts to sag, and you start having wrinkles. And as you age, you get like these spots. I kind of always wondered what they were. Like, what do you mean, age spots? And then I went to the doctor. I said, hey, what's this? Do I have to be concerned? Oh, that's an age spot. <laughs> what? What? And then a friend of mine was cutting my hair the other day. And she just kind of laughed. She goes, ah, oh, you have two gray hairs. I was like, what? And then back there, I said, pluck them. Pluck them. And she was like, no, I'll just cut them. And she cut them. I was like, no, you got to get it by the root. It's just going to come back out. But here's the thing. You don't have to tell that to wives. You don't have to tell this stuff to wives. They know. They know. See, women seem to know, and they accept what happens to men. Husbands, not so much. And I think it's because of this, that wives are more in tune of seeing internal beauty than men are seeing it in their wives. That's why I think it is. And not just her outer beauty, because guys are easily talking about these types of things. Oh, eat healthier, or oh, work out more, or do all these types of things, right? But husbands, do you say things like, hook up with your girls and laugh. Go have a good time with your girlfriends, and take care of yourself inside, and be happy. And doing stuff like that to build up your wives on the inside, and, and it's not just the outside. And giving her time to be with friends and be away from kids and giving her space to grow spiritually and intellectually and mentally and be able to take that class that she's been wanting to take while you watch the kids and doing that sort of stuff. Because that's a beauty that just gets more beautiful. That's the beauty that is imperishable. See, we need to love our wives really well. We need to celebrate our marriages with our wives. 
Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. And then there's some R-rated stuff in that chapter as well. So you read that on your own. But we are to celebrate our wives. Right? To bless her and encourage her and set her free from what the world feeds her about her outer image. See, the world does not praise her inner beauty It's talking about how do I attain outer beauty? How do I look better? What surgery can I get? What can I eat? How can I work out? It's all about the external stuff, right? Hair, jewelry, clothing. But that's the stuff that doesn't determine her beauty. Let her know that you're happy to be married to her, that you love that. And it's not just the external things, right? Not just the external things. Support her efforts into being a godly woman. Verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. See, the internal beauty is the beauty that never fades. It's imperishable. All this external stuff, it changes. It decays. The internal stuff, it does not decay. It's who you are. It's who you are, not someone you have to make up to be or dress to be or prepare to be the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit this is not saying that all your personalities have to be the same right all you have to be gentle and quiet and just all everybody's the same this is just character traits you can be who you are but these are character traits these are character traits that weren't valued in peter's day just as they aren't valued in our day For wives to adorn themselves with the character traits that are precious to God. And then Peter gives us examples of these women. Verses 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. How do wives follow the example of Sarah? It's in the latter part of verse 6. Do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. If you guys have been here for the last several weeks, you're noticing this theme by Peter about doing good. It's a really common instruction by Peter, and we're going to see it as we continue on in 1 Peter. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Here it is again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6. Do good. Do good. And it goes back to how a husband receives the gospel. Right? He doesn't hear it from his wife. He sees it. He sees it. And you notice what Peter wrote about Sarah. Sarah called Abraham Lord. <laughs> Whoa. What is Peter referring to here? Genesis chapter 18, verse 12. Now let's read the story. It starts in verse 10. Genesis 18. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. 
And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And so maybe this is a lot like many of you wives out there who will only call your husband Lord while you're laughing. Right? You're like, Lord? <laughs> Lord. Lord have mercy. But Sarah wasn't laughing at calling Abraham Lord. She was laughing because there was this disbelief of God's promise. And so, you know when you laugh to yourself about something that you just can't believe? And in that moment, you're so certain that something can't be true. And it's just fact to you. So Sarah laughing while calling her husband Lord is actually a genuine belief that she had in her heart about her relationship with him. It's like unfiltered reality, right? This is an unfiltered expression from Sarah about her husband, that she really saw him as Lord. And in the hidden person of Sarah's heart was her imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. She loved, she respected Abraham deeply, really deeply. Even when she laughed and called him Lord, that was just totally unfiltered. It's not planned. It just kind of came out of her heart. Now, the thing is, did Abraham deserve this? I mean, he is the father of faith, right? He's a pretty top-notch guy. Did he deserve this? Absolutely not. No way. And this brings us to the last part of verse 6. Do not fear anything that is frightening. Because submitting to your husband is frightening. It is. It is. Sarah submitting to Abraham was downright frightening. It's frightening. I have four daughters. And to think that one day if marriage is the will of God for them, they will submit to some Yahoo <laughs> is frightening to me. That is frightening to me, let alone them. I don't know what to do. Because what if that husband doesn't deserve it? And he won't. <laughs> right? We don't. No husband deserves this, right? Abraham didn't deserve it. How can anybody else? What if that husband is a loser? I'll just make her a widow. <laughs> she won't have to submit to anyone anymore. Yeah? Please pray for me. I'm still working on last week's message, right? From 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Don't threaten. But there's a principle of submission throughout the New Testament, not just here in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, we looked at the topic of submission, right? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, submitting to government authority, right? Human institutions. 2, verse 18, employees submitting to their employers or authority positions within employment. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, wives submitting to husbands. But the thing is, there is so much more in regards to the principle of submission. A lot in the Bible. Jesus submitting to his earthly parents. Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Demons submitting to the disciples. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. 
the universe submitting to Jesus, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. The church submitting to Jesus, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24. Spiritual beings submitting to Jesus, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. Christians submitting to church leaders, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Christians submitting to God, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. This principle of submission is crucial. Not everybody on a football team can be a running back. You got to have some blockers. Not everyone on any type of team, you can't have the same position within any team. It can't work that way. And so back to this principle of submission, aside from Jesus and God in these examples of submission, the rest of whom we are to be subject to, in submission to, they don't deserve it. They're all fallen. They're all sinful. Government, employers, husbands, parents, church leaders, all fallen. All don't deserve it. Even Abraham, the father of faith, fallen. You husbands have not done what Abraham did to his wife. Bad husband. He's traveling. He goes to Gerar. And at Gerar is King Abimelech. And so he's afraid. His wife's like 90 by now, right? He's afraid because she's so hot as a 90-year-old. <laughs> that the king is going to kill him to have her as his wife. They're talking about this. He's like, oh, she's my sister. No, she's my sister. And so the king's like, oh, is your sister? All right, take her. I want her as a wife. All found in Genesis chapter 20. I'm not making any of this stuff up. How many of you husbands have said that your wife is your sister? That's messed up. That's messed up. And you're supposed to submit to that? Sarah submitted to that? To that fallen person? To these fallen entities? It's frightening. It's frightening. Do not fear anything that is frightening. Which submission is. It's all frightening. It's frightening to be in submission to our government. It's frightening to be in submission to our employers, our church leaders, our parents. All these types of things are frightening. But then Peter says, do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. See, true submission is having a complete faith in God. Choosing to submit whether you are a citizen of a country, a spouse, an employee, all these different positions that we are to be subject to somebody else. And it's not because we're forced to or it's lorded over us or you have to, but because it's obedient to the will of God. That was his structure. This is God's mission and this is how I am under mission. This is how I'm under God's mission. To fulfill my role, to fulfill God's mission. And so whatever he's put me in as a citizen of this country or an employee of this employer or married to this person or being at this church, whatever it may be, I have my position to fulfill my role to fulfill God's mission in whatever context that we are under submission to fulfill our distinct roles to fulfill God's mission. And so I know that for some wives, 
this is an extremely challenging thing to do to be subject to your husbands. I know it's really, really hard because some of your husbands just aren't leading well, right? Just to be honest and frank, they're just not doing their role. They're not being a good head. But here's what Peter encourages you to do. Do good. Do good. Show him. Show him by example. He's not going to hear it with his ears. So you can tell him all you want. You can put Bible verses in his lunch pail or whatever. Or I've heard stories of women doing that. Or write something on the mirror or put something in his pillow. You could do all that. He's not going to get it. He's not going to hear you. He has to see you. He has to see you. Right? So you have to show him. Do not fear anything that is frightening. That is frightening. It is frightening to be subject to somebody else. It is frightening to be a wife who is subject to a developing husband. That's a frightening thing. Talk to God about it. Because you're his precious daughter. Talk to him about it. And continue entrusting him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that your love and your grace was shared this morning. Father, that sisters who are offended here, Lord, that you can uh, have them come talk to me and have us make peace. Because in no way did I mean to offend, Lord. And Father, I ask that uh, your grace and your love would shower everyone here. And for those who are married, for those who are wives, it's frightening. And so I pray, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would give them patience and endurance, that you would give them ability that is beyond themselves to do good and to increase their faith in you. I pray, Lord, that as we have our distinct roles in our own family structure, that we are able to bless our spouses as well as our families and those who come in contact with us. And I pray, Lord, that as you were the ultimate example of submission, that we are able to see that this wasn't just lip service to you, Lord, that you actually lived this for us and were an example of this for us. In Jesus' name, amen.